0: You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. We come alive as we
1: You're going to do a word for God and you got escorting you you got the best military machinery don't miss verse 10 when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites you make a move for God the alarm in hell goes off they're moving they're doing something they're doing more than just attending church the enemy is aroused
0: When you make big moves for God, you'll gain the attention of his enemies. Luckily, when you're working for God, you're working for the most powerful force that is. Today, Pastor Danny reminds you that when you have God on your side, you have all of his strength behind you. Faithfully seek out Jesus' will for your life, and then move forward in it unapologetically. Know that when you're working in his will, the end of the story that you began will be one of greatness. Contribute to the glory of God. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1 as he continues his message, Building Something for God. To every nation for-
1: In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They're in great trouble. They're in disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that he's praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, "If you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations." That's exactly what happened. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I'll gather them from there, bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name, Jerusalem. They are your servants your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Pause. What man? Nehemiah is praying this great prayer, and it concludes with, give me favor in, in, in the presence of this man. What man? I was cupbearer to the king. Whoa! The king of ancient Persia. They're the ones ruling now. Medes and the Persians. Persians became greater. The king of Persia, modern day Iran. I just love this book, man. You just can't get better stories in here than these stories. It's amazing what God does. I mean, throughout time, throughout time, even though his people have uh, have been in idolatry and and been given over to the enemy, but uh, they get to the point they cry out, oh, God, help me, and he's so gracious, he's so merciful, he reaches down, he raises up somebody, and he strategically positions people whose hearts he would move. Oh, there's some pretty significant people, even if you haven't studied the Bible. You know the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel became a high government official, like Nehemiah, for a divine purpose. I was cupbearer to the king. You couldn't get a more important position than that. What does a cupbearer to the king do? Well, he tests everything that the king is going to drink. Why would you need a cupbearer like that? (laughs) Because throughout history, and you find sometimes in the Bible, uh, sometimes even your own staff, if you're the king, they got a plan to... Get rid of you. And one of the ways they would do it is they would poison your food or your drink. And so you had someone to make sure that everything was safe so that every time you sat down for a meal, every time you took a drink, you were confident I'm not going to die because <laughs> somebody poisoned this. Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king of ancient Persia still awake? Yes. Chapter 2. Oh, man, this is good. In the month of Nisan, that's four months later after the prayer. Four months later after Nehemiah praised that heartfelt prayer. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, now we know his name. When wine was brought for him, I took the wine, I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Notice it says, I, and Nehemiah said, I was very much afraid. Very much afraid. Why would he be afraid that the king is asking why there's anxiety or sadness on his face? Because as cupbearer, if you have anxiety or sadness on your face, you make the king suspicious that maybe something's wrong with the wine. What's wrong? And Nehemiah was afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, what is it you want? Stop there for just a minute. If you ever have the privilege of having a king say to you, what is it you want? Let me strongly encourage you, go big. At that point, don't think small. What is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, he didn't close his eyes. He didn't bow. But in his heart, right there, before he answers the king, in that split second, he prays. You can pray anytime, anywhere. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, well, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? Now, I got to fill in some detail without turning to the scriptures because we don't have the time. But if you'll trust me, I've checked out the scriptures and I can tell you from the scriptures how long Nehemiah asked the king for a leave of absence. You know how long it was? 12 years. Let me go back and rebuild my homeland and the city there. How long are you going to be gone? It'll only take about 12 years. It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time, 12 years. I also said to him, (laughs) he's not done asking. If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And he's not done asking. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he'll give me lumber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? Wow. Give me enough materials, would you, king, to build everything, and I'm going to be gone long enough. I've got to build my own house too. Give me enough for that. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. How cool is that, man? You're going to do a work for God and you got tanks escorting you. You got the best military machinery. Don't miss verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. You make a move for God the alarm in hell goes off they're moving they're doing something they're doing more than just attending church the enemy is aroused Nehemiah at night gets on a horse he rides through the city he surveys the situation assesses the needs and then he goes to the people He says in verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. In other words, hey, we got all the resources we need. We just need one more thing. Are you willing to do something? Are you willing to put your hand to the plow? Are you willing to get to work? And they replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and another one now, Geshem the Arab, when they heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And they answered, "The God of heaven will give us success. We, as servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it." What a story! Now, here's what you want to do when you read the Word of God, when you hear the Word of God. You don't want to just hear it. You want to say, oh, how does that apply to me? What, what does that mean for me? I look at Nehemiah, what a leader. And Nehemiah not only prayed, he got involved. It's one thing to pray. But he was willing to get involved. And he was li- willing to leave a prominent, prestigious position in order to get involved. And the people were willing to work. And it's one thing to have somebody, you know, get up and say, Ah, let's go do it. And then everybody says, Oh, you go do it. (laughs) I'm a little busy. You don't understand. We're renovating our house, or we got another house, or we we just bought the camper. And some people's priorities are just messed up. And sometimes it's something that's not necessarily sin, but it becomes sin because it draws them away from kingdom priorities. And it can happen to any of us. It can happen to any of us so easily. The people were willing to jump in and join Nehemiah and say, let's do Let's do something. Let's build. There was such strength. If you read chapter 3, when they all started working and everybody was working at a particular gate, and there were several gates all the way around the city, and the walls had to be rebuilt, and the gates had to be restored. And uh, it's interesting as you go through, there's a lesson, and it's not the lesson for today, but the names of some of the gates, I mean, there are messages there. For example, one of them is the Dung Gate. Boy, you, you, you draw that number, you're lucky. I get, I get to rebuild the dung gate. Yeah, you know, where's that one? The nursery. But man, they were together. They were, they, were, they were unified. Now, you do see humanness here because in chapter 3, the nobles would not put their shoulders to the work. There were some in the group that will get involved, but you understand, in our contract, we don't do windows. The dung gate is out. I'll do something. You need somebody to play an instrument. I, now, I can do that. You want me up on the stage? Yeah, sure. And they had a limitation in their volunteerism. They were unified. And what God did was incredible. You've got to look. got to look real quick at Nehemiah chapter 6. And, and look what the result was. The wall was completed on the 25th of the law in 52 days. It, that's less than two months. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of God. That's what you want. That's what a local pastor wants. That's what a church wants. You want people from the outside to look and go, how in the world do they do what they do? And you want only one conclusion. And it's not they're greatly organized uh, they got a business CEO kind of pastor, and he's really good at organizing, and putting things together, you know. No, you want people to go, I don't understand how they do what they do. It must be God. 52 days. Are you kidding me? No. It was God. It was Nehemiah's leadership. It was the people's willingness to work, and it was God's hand upon them. Put that together, and you've got testimony. Work done with the help of God. But in your reading, you're going to notice their actions aroused the enemy. Chapters 4 and 6 of Nehemiah are all about the opposition they faced. The struggles, the challenges. But they persevered. They persevered despite the opposition. So, there's the message. How do I apply it? that's an excellent question you still awake for the conclusion of class today I've thought about this a lot a lot what I'm about to share with you because uh, my son uh, a few months ago on a trip uh, we were driving together and my wife was with us and we were sharing the driving uh, privileges and um, he was reading this book called Simple Church and he's telling me about the book. And so I let him drive for a while and I was in the backseat of the truck and I was reading Simple Church and I read it. I did a fast read. I read the whole book and I highlighted, I highlighted things. I've recently gone back through the book and uh, it's a book, you know, like about uh, churches and their different uh, organizational structure, strategy, etc. And I don't know if you realize that today, one of the hip things for churches is to have a vision statement, a vision statement. I don't know how I made it so many years as a pastor without ever having a vision statement, Uh, but you're supposed to have a vision statement. And the happening thing now is your vision statement is three words, three words. And if you don't have three words, you ain't in with the cool crowd. And we're trying to come up with three words. And I was reading Simple Church and I told Jairus, how about unite, connect, serve? Unite Connect Serve. So now that we we we're going to hone in, we haven't decided yet what our three words are or if we're going to actually do three words. I suggested well we could just say we're a community with a commission. And but but we'll never be successful until we get our vision statement down. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure, isn't it? And I've thought about this a lot. And I thought about how do you how do you evaluate? How do you evaluate biblically church members how do you evaluate the success uh, in god's eyes of a church and using the bible i'm sorry it's not three things it's five things and here's how here's how we evaluate whether people attend regularly regular and i spell that wrong every time <laughs> attend regularly and listen By some people's evaluation, if you get a crowd there on a consistent basis, we're successful. But listen, a lot of times in the Bible, where the crowd was is not where God was. So you can't stop there. Attend regularly. Now, this is important. This is important. The Bible says we ought to... um, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And it doesn't, doesn't tell us why some don't attend regularly. But you know, you think about it, and some people, they, they get the extra house, they get the camper, and they got other got stuff to do, you know, other things to see and places to go and all, you know, and it's priorities, it's priorities. For some people, it's just priorities. But attend regularly. Now here's the second one, and, and this is biblical too, to give Financially, And I like to say we are to give to the Lord through the church. And really, you don't do it backwards. Don't say, I give to the church. No, you give to the Lord. But you give it primarily through the church. There may be other Christian organizations that you help out, but we give first and foremost, we should biblically give to the Lord through the church. So, now, in my denominational heritage, man, you get these two. I grew up Baptist. All right, And I'm not knocking the Baptist. I'm just telling you from my Baptist world, you get these two. You get people coming regularly and giving faithfully, and you think, man, we're a successful church. Matter of fact, you get people giving faithfully, and uh, if the pastor looks at who gives what, the more you give and the more you give regularly, you might get a shot at being a board member just because you give money to the church. But there is a third, biblically. Serve Practically. And some people never do this. Some people will attend regularly, they will give faithfully, and those are important things. Those are important things. But they never, ever get involved in the things that are required to make the church function week in, week out. I mean, things just for the service itself the dung gate, ministering to the children making our parking organized, and we need that because we have no parking. I mean, all the things that, that, that are to be done week in and week out, and some people don't, won't do this because, you see, it takes a commitment. And there's a level of commitment here, see. Now, there's a fourth one, and this is biblical. To connect relationally, relationally. They devoted themselves, Acts 2:42, to the teaching and to the fellowship. And the fellowship is not just hanging out and having a donut together. The fellowship, the connecting relationally, Jesus has to be the center of the foundation. doesn't mean you can't get out and, and talk about just normal things and do fun things, but Jesus better be the center of all, all of it. Connect relationally. And you connect relationally because John tells us in 1 John, our fellowship is with the Father and with one another. With his son, Jesus Christ, and with one another. So there it is our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. And we're to minister to one another. You want to connect relationally in such a way that when you have a need, Jesus, through his body, the church, can reach out and touch you. And Jesus wants to touch some people in the church, and he can't get to them because the only way he can get to them is through relationships. We are the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. You want to connect relationally so you can be a minister and so you can get ministered too, so that if you don't show up here, if you don't show up, somebody is concerned about you. They're not looking to lord it over your life, but they're looking to minister and to be Christ for you and you for them. And I can't tell you over the years as a pastor how many pastors I've talked to and how many church members in different churches I've talked to. They never get here. They never connect relationally. And they lose out. And the church loses out. And let me tell you a good thing. These two go together. Serving practically feeds connecting relationally because you get involved in serving practically and you will develop relationships. So this one is a great one to do because it It gives you this one in time. As you serve practically, you connect relationally. Now there's one more, and I'm gonna close, one more. And this one, pastors have no control over. They don't have control over any of this, really. But the desire is that we would witness in the world powerfully. Now, I believe if you're doing these things, and the church is spirit-filled and word-based, or if you're doing these things, you're gonna grow spiritually. And in growing spiritually, you're going to make a difference in your world. You're going to become a witness. And the church as a whole, just like Nehemiah and the people and the work they did, the, the people outside, even the enemy said, this is God. And there was a witness in the world just because of the thing that we were doing together. God's hand was on it. And so here's the closing. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God took me back to Nehemiah chapter six, and, and I was strongly led to close this way. Chapter six, I read it earlier, so the wall, verse 15, was completed on the 25th of the wall in 52 days, 52 days, wow. As Jonathan comes to lead us in a closing song, as he comes, hang on. And here's the invitation. Oh, Lord, please erase this board so I won't have to. (laughs) Hang on. Don't go anywhere. Don't let anybody leave. I don't know where you are. It's not meant to be a guilt thing. But would you take a step? If this is not your local fellowship, you go back to your local fellowship, and you do what God's telling you to do.
0: for joining us today on The Living Word. Pastor Danny's study, Gleanings from the Old Testament, will continue next time, so be sure to tune in again. Through this study, you'll meet a variety of characters, some strong in their faith and others not, some who seem to have a massive role in society and others who only have a minor part to play. Each person and each situation have a valuable lesson for you, though, and it's worth your time and attention. You can and should learn from their triumphs as well as their failures, and you can take comfort in the one that they all served, your Creator, God Himself. You also have the privilege of seeing the future that they had yet to know. You have the rest of Scripture to dig into as well. Today, we encourage you to read again the passage that Pastor Danny taught on, or turn to another part of the Bible. You won't be disappointed, and God has plenty to tell you on every page of Scripture. It truly is the living Word. If you'd like to explore more of Pastor Danny's messages from this series or others, we encourage you to visit our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on sermons to be directed to our YouTube page, and we'd love for you to subscribe. When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. That website one more time is ccfstpete.church. That's all we have time for for today. We'll continue walking through the Old Testament next time, right here on The Living Word.